Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening. And if you are tuning in by way of podcast from the countries of Brazil, Argentina, Canada, Mexico, uh, India, South Africa, Portugal, France, Italy, Spain, England, Germany, I wish to welcome all of you. Um, As always, it really is an honor that you are tuning in um, by way of podcast, that you are taking 25 to 30 minutes out of your very precious time to journey with me in this great adventure that is the Catholic faith. From one day to the next, from one week to the next, we are always looking at some new aspect of uh, the Christian Catholic faith. And while each day um, in each week has its own theme, certainly we are touching upon so many different things. And uh, it is Monday evening, so we are talking about the great Christian thinkers. I do not have John O'Hara with me this evening. Uh, He will rejoin me here in a couple weeks, but we will continue, huh? Uh, We are in the late 17th, early 18th century, and we remain in the country of France. We have been considering a number of different figures in France. Uh, Last week, certainly, was St. Louis de Montfort, and we really focused in on true devotion to Mary. This evening, uh, we have a most fascinating figure in Jean-Baptiste de La Salle. uh, Jean-Baptiste de La Salle. Now, who was this man? If we are familiar with him, uh, we know him probably as the founder of the Institute of the Brothers of the Christian Schools. If uh, we are familiar with him, we probably know him as an educational reformer. If we are familiar with him, we probably know him as the father of modern pedagogy. Uh, We will explore all these things certainly this evening. And certainly we can say with a list like that, (laughs) it is no wonder he is the patron of uh, school teachers, huh? Now, for some of you out there, (laughs) you might be familiar with him because you went to a school named after uh, De La Salle. And even if you didn't go to a school named De La Salle, maybe you watched the movie When a Game Stands Tall about the football team in Concord, California, in Northern California, who won a ridiculous amount of football games in a row. Now, it's interesting, while we might be familiar with the name De La Salle because of that football team, when you look at that coach, uh, Coach Latticer, and what he stood for, in so many ways, what he was about points to uh, Jean-Baptiste De La Salle. Why? Because he approached the game of football as a teacher, and as a man of integrity. And people were drawn to that. What's more, what is often overlooked about Coach Latticer is that he also taught theology. He taught religion. And so certainly a man who taught at a high school named De La Salle would absorb what De La Salle was about, the saint, and integrate it and assimilate it into what he did for a vocation. Just not in how he taught the faith, but also how he Uh, coach the game of football. And if you've watched the movie, When the Game Stands Tall, certainly you can see that. And if you're totally unfamiliar with the Saint Jean-Baptiste de La Salle, by the end of this evening, 
hopefully you will appreciate why I'm correlating the two. I'm not making Latticeur a saint by no means, but certainly he has done something special, and we are to appreciate that and really recognize that as a reflection huh, of the saint we will talk about this evening. All right, all that being said, what do we know about the man? Well, Jean-Baptiste was born in uh, Reims, France on April 30th, 1651, and died in Rouen on Good Friday, April 7th, 1719. So again, late 17th, uh, early 18th century. By the way, for some of our information this evening, I will be drawing from Catholic Encyclopedia alongside of uh, a few other resources. All right, so his parents were very uh, solicitous in the care they bestowed upon their child, and his father especially was hopeful that his bright young son would select the profession of law and really maintain the family tradition. But at a very young age, De La Salle insisted that he was called to serve the church, and accordingly he received the tonsure at the age of 11 and was solemnly installed as a canon in the church at the age of 16. And when De La Salle had completed his classical, literary, and philosophical courses, he was sent to the famous seminary in Paris, France, Saint-Sulpice. Saint-Sulpice. Now, you've heard me talk about the importance of what our saints and great Christian thinkers have done at a very young age. And here we are again, my friends. At the age of 19, he's versed in the classics. He's versed in, in philosophy. He's versed in literature. And he is sent into the seminary. Now, this was a disciplined man like so many of the great Christian thinkers and doctors of the church before him. He's not a doctor of the church, but certainly um, an important thinker. Now, while residing at this seminary, he made such rapid progress in virtue that the superior of the congregation of St. Sulpice, this seminary, rendered the following testimony. De La Salle was a constant observer of the rule. His conversation was always pleasing and above reproach. I like that. He seems never to have given offense to anyone, nor to have incurred anyone's censure. So, my dear friends, he was a man of humility, he was a man who listened. He was a man who was kind, gentle. He was a man who understood his place. But as we will find out, he was also a man of great conviction. Just because we see the saints we talk about as, as humble and meek, do not confuse that with a lack of conviction or weakness. On the contrary, as we will see, you are not known as an educational reformer without being convicted and strong. For De La Salle was uh, both convicted and strong in the Spirit. And my friends, it is the Spirit that teaches us how to listen and when to speak up. What have we said? Listen more to speak better. Jean-Baptiste De La Salle understood that well. Okay, while at the seminary, De La Salle distinguished himself by his piety as well as by the vigor of his intellectual progress and the ability with which he, he handled theological subjects. One of the things you see in these great Christian thinkers is their thirst for knowledge. They understood well that the more you come to know the person of Jesus Christ, in particular in its doctrine, the more you're going to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Doctrine is not about something but someone. 
The more you get to know about the doctrine of creation, the more you get to know about the doctrine of the Trinity, the more you get to know about the doctrine of the Incarnation, the more you get to know about the person of Jesus Christ. He understood that well, and so you see this thirst for knowledge. And clearly, he had a muscle-bound intellect that would not quit. And so you see him, uh, theologically speaking, progressing, advancing. Now, it was while in the seminary that his family responsibility would take precedence as he would lose both his mother and father within a nine-month period. Wow. It was in the spring of 1672. So at the age of 21, he was obliged, as the eldest of his siblings, to uh, assume the responsibility of returning home and educating his brothers and sisters. And at this point, he devoted a great deal of his time to domestic affairs, you know, providing for every single circumstance uh, for his siblings. But while attending these domestic affairs, he did not stop studying. And isn't that fascinating? Here he is, you know, putting together dinner, taking care of the laundry, right, all the while finding time to study for the priesthood. And it was at the age of 26, almost 27, that he was ordained a priest. And as a young priest, again, he was a model of piety. And his biographers say that persons went to assist at his Mass to be edified and to share in his piety. After Mass, there were many who sought his counsel and put themselves under his spiritual guidance. And for those of you out there who have been in the presence of a holy priest, you know what is going on here, huh? I mean, our spirit detects something different, and that which is different draws us in. We seek them out. We seek them out. It's interesting. In our contemporary culture, we seek out famous people. Why? Well, there's many reasons. To be in their presence, we feel more important. We get a certain fulfillment out of it. And with the likes of those who are holy, we not only are fulfilled, but they make us feel important. And not in some secular sense, right? But in that spiritual uplifting sense. And certainly this is what people encountered in the person of Jean-Baptiste de La Salle. So during the few years that intervened between his ordination to the priesthood, and the famed institute that he established, De La Salle was entrusted by a close friend to complete and start up a school for poor boys and girls. Again, have we seen that before? Right? I have been asked the question on more than one occasion, what is the one common theme in all the saints? Well, it's twofold, really. First and foremost, the person of Jesus Christ, their love for the person of Jesus Christ. But right next to that, because of their love for Jesus Christ, their love for the poor. Poverty. Both in its material and spiritual grade, this is the golden thread, my friends. And this is what we see in the life of Jean-Baptiste de la Salle. Is it not? Here we have him starting up a school for um, poor boys and girls, which would be the first of many. Jean-Baptiste understood something well. If these boys and girls are going to be properly educated, then they needed good school teachers, right? Daily, he visited the teachers to encourage them and to suggest practical methods to attain definitive results. We find that uh, when the teachers became discouraged owing to the lack of 
proper guidance after school hours, he undertook to house them, that he might be able to direct them and give them practical lessons in the useful employment of time and and to prevent weariness and and disgust. You see, my friends, Jean-Baptiste was very sensitive to the needs of the school teachers and also practical methodology that might help them become better school teachers. So not only did he aid them in class and, and after class, but he also made good any deficit in the cost of living. He was a man of charity. He even admitted them to his own table and and later on sheltered them under his roof. He was a man for other. So he was drawn closer and closer to them, forming an intimate fellowship with the teachers of the poor. And what is going on here? We're talking about this, and I don't want to lose sight of this. (laughs) He was a man who was in love with love. And of course, that second love being love incarnate. You cannot do what he was doing for these school teachers, for these young, poor boys and girls, if you don't have a single-mindedness for Christ. Is this not what every saint teaches us? That single-mindedness, that single-heartedness. What is that beatitude? Blessed are the pure in spirit. While that pure in spirit speaks to purity as we often might think of it, The Greek rendering of that purity, katharos, also translates as a single-heartedness, something that is not mixed with another thing, something that is not defiled. Jean-Baptiste de la Salle had a single-mindedness, had a single heart for the teacher, for the student, for the advancement of the message of Jesus Christ in all of its disciplines, you see. This is what made him a saint, and amen to that. And now it was during this time that the Institute of the Brothers for the Christian Schools was born, but not without its struggle. When you read his story, we see that those closest to him would verbally attack him, and and justice would be denied to him time after time in court tribunals. He was being persecuted. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the persecuted, right? Blessed are the persecuted. My dear friends, being Christian, being Catholic, if it promises anything, it promises this. You're not going to win a popularity contest. And if you are, that means something's wrong, right? At least by the world's standards. (laughs) Okay. In spite of all this, because of his love for Jesus Christ, his confidence would not be shaken. You know, De La Salle was too prudent and too inspired by God not to give his institute a positive character, a positive character in his twofold object, the Christian education of youth and the cultivation of the spirit of what? Faith, piety, obedience, and certainly something you see in this man's life, mortification. All of these elements characterized this institute this work for God. Now, his gift of gaining souls to God and of leading them to make great sacrifices was supplemented by the splendid executive ability that enabled him to found an institute and to supervise and direct its gradual development. We have seen in past saints how their administrative ability, their administrative gift allowed them to do more great things. And this is charism, this is vocation, this is calling. Not not every saint had this gift. 
Certainly, it's something you can work on and, and strengthen. But what you see in some of these men and women is this dual gift of not only having the, the spiritual capacity to see things for what they are, but also the practical ability to see something through. And certainly, this was a mark of Jean-Baptiste. So, what about these educational reforms? Now, the various educational reforms which De La Salle introduced proved that he legislated wisely. You know, the courses of study for elementary free schools, technical schools, and colleges are evidences of his uh, broad culture and wide grasp of educational problems. Hence, if the need of a certain locality called for special branches, or if the times and conditions demanded certain advanced studies, De La Salle was not slow in responding, nor in giving these subjects a place commensurate, we could say, in, in importance with their educational value. De La Salle would display his genius in giving his institute a distinctive character, that of a teaching body consecrated to the work of popular education. He became the author of a system of psychological pedagogy, which included the essential principles adopted by later workers, future educators. If you were to read Froebel, Herbart, and others, you see this. So De La Salle, rooted in truth, of course, was attentive to the need for reform. Uh, one popular example of this was how, with true scientific insight, he perceived that retaining Latin texts to teach the art of reading was a stumbling block. Why? How? Well, the local vernacular is more easily taught to children. Now, this was not a removal of the Latin text per se, but an inserting of the French as the foundation. In one of his dictates, he said that it was impossible for children in primary and elementary schools to master the reading of Latin texts because they are not acquainted with its subject matter, right? It is, therefore, according to De La Salle, the part of wisdom to train children thoroughly to the intelligent readings of works written in the local vernacular. Thus, having mastered the art of reading in the vernacular, the French, a few months would suffice to make them read the Latin fluently, whereas if the traditional method were followed, it would require at least several years. So he really put this into place, put this into play systematically, and it would prove to be uh, transformative. So they, they were using the French to then ultimately read Latin fluently. So De La Salle was a profound thinker, a genius in the work of popular education. He embraced all classes, all conditions of society. By making the free schools popular, he grasped the growing needs of society in his own day and for all times. No phase of the educational problem escaped his penetrating vision. Huh? This is uh, why he was so involved in reform, attentive to the details in all of its modes to all ages. Now, De La Salle especially identified with what's called the simultaneous method of teaching. Now, by the simultaneous method, the pupils are graded according to their capacity, putting those of equal attainments in, in the same class, giving them the same textbooks and requiring them to follow the same lesson under one and the same teacher. And this method has withstood the test of time. 
De La Salle would apply this method not only in reading, as was done by his predecessors, but also to the catechism, to writing, to spelling, and to arithmetic, and all the specialties taught in the colleges that he founded. So De La Salle points out the simultaneous method as the one which he wished his disciples to follow. It was no longer the one teacher governing a whole school as much as it was two or three or more according to the number of pupils, each taking those of the same capacity and teaching them together. Now, we don't have time, per se, to get into all the marks of this method, but I would encourage you to go surfing on the internet and to look up De La Salle and get to know some of his insights and details. Certainly, uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia gets into some detail, and any biography of his, any memoir of his, uh, will speak to this as well. Uh, they are fascinating. Now, for Jean-Baptiste, humble silence was the earmark of any method. You know, humble silence was the earmark um, to any pupil and teacher. It was all for the glory of God. It was all for the glory of God. Now, one of the things I made to remember as I was going through this was his attention to the detail of both spelling and pronunciation. Now, why would he spend so much time on that? Well, the word grammar in the Latin literally translates as beautiful or something that belongs to beauty. When you listen to someone speak the English language fluently, or any language for that matter fluently, there is something beautiful. When you are reading something that is grammatically correct, there is something pleasing going on inside the reader. So this was, again, something very important to Jean-Baptiste. What's more, he enriched the concept of the Sunday school. How? Well, he, he added geometry, architecture, and drawing. De La Salle was a Renaissance man in an era that had lost its true meaning of what it means to be a Renaissance man for Christ in Christian methodology. Incidentally, what does the word methodology mean? I'd be remiss if I didn't speak to this. Methodos, the study of the way, the study of a way. What did Pope Francis say in Joy of the Gospel, huh? That Jesus Christ is the methodology. Why would he say that? Because he is the way. Everything we do, whatever discipline we are teaching, whatever, whatever subject matter we are about, should always point back to Jesus Christ. And so we could say, my friends, that De La Salle is entitled to be ranked among the most advanced educators of the 18th century and among the greatest thinkers and educational reformers of all time. His system embraces the best in the modern educational methods. He understood well the way in which the teacher encounters the student, bringing to the student the person of Jesus Christ. He understood well that the teacher can only bring to the student the person of Jesus Christ if he was first in love with Jesus Christ. There is a way to bring Jesus Christ to the student. He would remind us of the importance of parables, allegories, proverbs, storytelling. Why? Because this is how Jesus taught. All of this should come to mind as we think of De La Salle and why he ranks among the all-time greats. But let us understand, my dear friends, it was especially as a priest that Jean-Baptiste de La Salle loved his vocation as an educator. And we could even say, like St. Ignatius of Loyola before him, he taught letters that he might have 
the right to teach Christian doctrine. This is part of his methodology, that he would use subject matter outside of the conventional Christian subject matter so as to engage people in Christian subject matter. This is, again, what we call assimilation, say to take history or literature as a means to engage and teach on the person of Jesus Christ. And it was in claiming this privilege that De La Salle was actuated uh, by the highest and purest motives. There was nothing narrow in his educational plans. I don't know if you are a teacher out there. If you are one who plans ahead, and that's certainly a good thing, be sure that in your planning ahead, what you're doing is organic, one thing connected to the next, and make sure in what you are teaching, it has some element within it that might help us better understand uh, the person of Jesus Christ and his church. Always important. Certainly, St. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle uh, did this, and he reminds us uh, of the importance of this. I mean, he was too wise not to realize the necessity that the truest and best children of the church should be among the most skilled in human affairs. And the way you uh, become the most skilled in human affairs is to see that whatever it is you're doing is seen in light of the person of Jesus Christ, or is seen how what you are skilled in points to Jesus Christ. My dear friends, De La Salle's view was from the summit, (laughs) from the summit. Therefore, his view was broad and comprehensive. Intellectual training was always supplemented by a complete course of Christian morals. St. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle understood that man had a destiny, and the teacher was to inculcate this truth by cultivating and developing the theological virtues in the souls of all the pupils, of all the children. And just by way of wrap-up as we kind of project towards the end of his life. The last years of De La Salle were spent in close retirement at St. Yon. There he revised his rule before giving it to a close brother of his, Brother Bartholomew, the first superior general of the institute he founded. And it was in Holy Week of 1719, he gave unmistakable signs that the end was near, because on Holy Thursday, at the request of Brother Bartholomew, he blessed the brothers assembled at his bedside and gave them his last words of counsel. And his final words were, In all things I adore the will of God in my regard. Those were his last words. In all things I adore the will of God in my regard. And it was on Good Friday morning, April 7th, 1719, he breathed his last he was canonized by uh, Leo XIII on May 24, 1900, and his feast is celebrated on May 15th. So a man who we should all get to know and, and know more, especially if we are a teacher, because he does show us what it means to be a great teacher, both uh, in word and deed. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.